I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moira, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Ooh, frog in my throat there. Debunking a frog. Okay. Debunking the frog. Actually, there's a couple uh, debunking cases involving frogs, so oh. I'll, I'll put those on the list. We're not talking about that today, though. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's a whole other can of frogs. Hey! That hey. was fun. Uh, I wonder if there's... Actually, I was going to say, I wonder if there's a debunking for worms, and then I just remembered the Mongolian death worm, so I guess there was one. So there was one. There was one. Um, but uh, today we're actually getting back into what we talked about on our last episode and so i'm gonna tell everyone who has not listened to the los Feliz murder mansion part one to pause go back listen to the first episode because this is not going to make much sense at all (laughs) if you don't (laughs) listen to the first part it's funny how you know a part one and part two tend to go together uh what we do that on purpose guys this is (gasps) crazy talk not just for funsies it's mainly because we find way too much information that we can't pack into one episode so go back listen to the first episode and then uh come back to this and you'll be all caught up but uh if you did listen to it thank you for listening and i'm excited Mm -hmm. to tell you more about the los Feliz murder mansion so we left off talking about the history of the doomed perelson family uh, and unfortunately, the uh, horrible events that took place at the Los Feliz murder mansion in 1959. So for those deets, we talked about that on the last episode. Now, I also mentioned briefly in the last episode that there is a podcast that was released in 2021. They did seven episodes called the Los Feliz murder mansion podcast. It is really good. So like if you like this topic and you want all of the details, like deep dive, really great investigative journalism skills details. Go listen to that after you listen to this. This is mostly just like a synopsis of the main points and also some additional stuff that I found out. Um, But I'm going to heavily reference that particular podcast because they did an incredible job at finding some really hard to find information. Nice. It's really good. Kimmy would really like it. Um, Now, so we're going to go into... Uh, you know, what happened before the Perelsons were at the house. Um, And what's interesting, I mentioned this on the last episode, is that this wasn't the first case where there were multiple deaths in the house and then the house was left vacant for a while. That actually happened more than once, which is kind of wild and weird. There's so much about this topic that we're going to get into. There's going to be wrenches thrown in ideas that you have heard of um, for the Los Feliz murder mansion. At least there were for me. Um, And we're going to talk about a curse. I don't know if you're ready. It's been a minute since we played curse or no curse. So, um, Uh, Kim Douthit, I hope you have a beverage on hand. Uh Um, And also... Perfect. I have my sparkling ice and essentia. <laughs> I don't know if this counts quite what you were thinking. Oh wait, hold on. I've got a. You can have whatever type of uh, beverage that floats your boat, <laughs> but also you could just. Oh, there it is. There's a beverage. Um, 
we're going to play the game curse or no curse, drink to whatever you choose. Um, but what's exciting about this topic, too, is that there's a lot of debunking. There's a lot of debunking on this one. So lots of legend, lots of lore. There is Moida. We talked about it. Uh, there's even some ghosties. We'll talk about that, too. So let's get into it. Let's go back to the curse. So before there was any house standing in the space of the Los Feliz murder mansion, there was a curse placed on the land. It's called Petronella's Curse of Los Ooh. Feliz Rancho. Great name. Petronella. Really good name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not the same case of everyone's named Harry. <laughs> that was last episode. Oh, bummer. I know. Now, let's go back in time. Back when California was owned by Spain, they split up the land as land concessions to members of the military. Jose Vincente Feliz it was originally the one who obtained this land. He later handed it down to Don Antonio Feliz, who was supposed to hand it down to his niece, Petronella. Keyword, supposed to. Ah. However, the story goes, because there's lots of stories in this one. Story goes that Don Antonio's uh, on his deathbed, and while he is dying... A politician and a lawyer came in. It sounds like the setup of a joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> did they come into a bar? No, they came into his deathbed. Oh, hey. Uh, hey. Really, truly sounds like a setup of a it joke. Really does. <laughs> um, but it's actually pretty messed up. They signed his will away to themselves instead of Petronella, oh, which is. That feels like that shouldn't be legal. Well, it's not. It's some shady shit, is what that is. It's um, some shady shit. So, of course, Petronella is pissed. So, what does she do? She puts a curse. Well, what did she? What did you say? <laughs> Curses, Curses them. Yes. She. That's what I would do. I mean, that's why I'm saying. Well, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> Obviously, duh. Curse. Um, so her curse was that any owners of the land would suffer horrible fates. Uh, spoiler: They did. Um, now <laughs> we are going to begin our game of. Curse or no curse? Welcome back. Um, in 1882, our friend Griffith J. Griffith moved to Los Angeles and purchased approximately 4,000 acres of the Rancho Los Feliz land grant. The exact land that we're talking about. Does that name ring a bell <laughs> to you at all, Kim? It, it does ring a bell, Gabby. Yeah. What, what does it make you think of? Uh, last week. <laughs> yes, Griffith Park, specifically. Uh-huh. And the um, week before, and the and week, week before. before. We've been, we, we've been talking a bunch about this lately. <laughs> this is the new podcast that's about Griffith Park. Um, yeah. So, fun fact. No, it's not. I'm just making a bad joke. Um, on December 16th, 1896, Griffith and his wife, Christina, presented 3,015 acres of uh, the Rancho Los Feliz to the city of Los Angeles for use as a public park, a.k.a.? Griffith Park. Now, we know. We talked about this before, so I'm not going to get into it now. There's some dark energy there. This Mm -hmm. is a park that is not, like, yeah, it's huge. It's great. It's really pretty. It's in L.A., but, like, also there's some negative shit that goes on there. Curse or no curse? I mean, it's a park. (laughs) So Kim is going to say no curse. I'm going to say no curse. I mean, it's a park. Like, you got a big bunch of land and like yeah people are gonna dump bodies there that is true 
weird shit's gonna happen if for no other reason than it's just you know you're it's a city and there's only so many places to dump bodies in cities i'm just saying allegedly that's, that's also true now yeah. you know it wasn't just the fact that he built a park that had weird shit going on sure in 1902, he actually shot his wife in the face. I mean, that'll do it. Curse or no curse? <laughs> it's, 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 I call that, please don't shoot your wife in the face. That, that too. <laughs> um, so, after Griffith, Jay Griffith, shot his wife mm-hmm. in the face, uh-huh. in 1925, 2475 Glendower Place was originally designed for Harry, here's your Harry, Harry F. Schumacher, Mm-hmm. By architect Harry E. Weiner, <laughs> or Werner, depending on your resource. Tomato, tomato. Almost the same thing. R- remember him? We talked about him last episode. Yeah, because I remember that forget? name very distinctly. Harry Weiner. How could You're you never forget gonna, Harry Weiner? How could you? How could you forget <laughs> Harry Weiner? I know I never have. Ay <laughs> I'm dead. We haven't even started yet. This is great. <laughs> So Harry F. Shoemaker, Schumacher, Tomato Tomato, and his wife Florence were the first people to live in the house that was built for them. And they died really shortly after they moved in. About three years later, in 1928, they both died in their home within months of each other. Mm. And the property sat vacant with furniture and personal belongings right after their death. So this is not the first time that something like this has happened. Kinda. Weird, right? A weird, yeah. You can't make this stuff up. This nope. actually happened. It's wild. So let's talk about Schumacher a little bit. Okay. Schumacher was actually, somehow we always bring things back to Seattle, which I think is funny. Um, Schumacher was the manager of the Seattle branch of Pacific Fruit and Produce Company. Mm. He actually came to L.A. in 1920 from Seattle, mm-hmm. and he hired... Uh, Harry Weiner, uh, to build his home in Los Feliz Heights in 1925. Florence uh, died July 1st, 1928 in her home, and the cause of death was acute endocarditis, which is a bacterial infection of the heart, and kidney failure. So both things. Pretty rough. She was Mm -hmm. only uh, 41 years old. Mm. And what's kind of wild is the doctor was called on June 27th, and she was Mm -hmm. dead by July 1st. Mm. That's quick. Yeah. That's very quick. Now, Harry died 27 days later. Mm -hmm. He was only 40. Mm. He died at the same home. The cause of death was bronchopneumonia, which I know you know what that is. So, I mean, (laughs) curse or no curse? Uh, I mean, that's that's natural causes to me, like unfortunate natural causes, but. And they're pretty young. Like, that's not that old. No, but I mean, you can get pneumonia at any age. That's true. Um, and if you've had it before, too. That could really mess like, you up. And again, this is this is not 2023. Yeah. This is like 100 years ago ish. Not quite. But like a while back. Uh, I mean, like, I had a friend who had pneumonia when she was a teenager, and her lungs have never been the same, and she's super susceptible to getting stuff. So, uh, again. Eh. So, Kim is going <laughs> to lean on no curse for all I mean, you've met me. It's mostly going to be me being like, no curse. 
We'll see. I Maybe I'll be convinced. We can throw it out to our audience to also play this game if anyone <laughs> wants to play the curse or no curse. Um, it's just interesting how frequent these things happen. So we're just getting started. We're just getting warmed up. But I will say also, again, look at the time period and look at what else was happening in the world then. Uh, like, we're not too far removed from a flu pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just mortality rate would have been higher. Well, that is true. In certain areas. So I, it's, I mean, again, I think sometimes when we look at these cases, it's really, really easy to look at them through a 2023 lens. Mm-hmm. And we need to take the time period into account and what the medical technology specifically was at the time. Well said. Love Thank that. <laughs> this is what I rely on you for, Kim. Thank I do you. what I can. Appreciate you. <laughs> now, Hazel, their adoptive 13-year-old daughter, was supposed to inherit their estate, but didn't end up inheriting it, which sounds a little bit like deja vu from Petronella. Not uh-huh. going to lie. Now, her story is a whole other sad story. And if we went down the rabbit hole that is Hazel's story, you would just get really sad and be like, how is this relevant to the Los Feliz murder house? So we're not going to go down that path right now. But if you want to okay. look it up, you absolutely can. Um, but a lot of people blame what happened to her also on Petronella's curse because it was so similar to what happened to Petronella. Right. So curse, no curse, to each their own. Yeah. So upon the death of Harry Schumacher, the home was left vacant, furnished, and unoccupied. It was even broken into and several items were stolen, just like after the Perelson incident. Mm. So Harry had a brother. His name was Orlando. And he became the administrator of the estate. This guy had a hell of a time trying to sell this house in 1928. Curse or no curse? I mean, it's almost embarrassing to put that in the same sentence as curse. That's true, 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 true. Just think about it for a bit. Now, based on one of the records found, Orlando was adamant that he and his family actually move into the house and live in it as it was already furnished, ready to go, Mm -hmm. he maybe wanted to help prevent people from breaking in and stealing his family's abandoned belongings, uh, even though the executor of the Schumacher's estate was actually against it due to the potential for profiting from renting it out. Mm. Yeah, sure. I get that. So Orlando says, I don't care, I'm moving in. He moves in with his wife and 17-year-old son in August 1928. So then, within nine months of living there, Orlando's son contracted a severe malady. A physician came and actually said that the home was unsafe to be lived in and told them that they should move out, which is pretty wild. Did they give specifics as to why it was, I mean, was there like toxic mold or was it like Such great structural? I always rely on Kim for the good questions. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there were. Was it documented? Not that I could find. Sure. Um, I would think mold is like the first thing I would think of, like black mold or something Mm -hmm. like that. But also we're talking about Los Angeles and it's not super wet. It's very dry and hot there. So, but you could still have mold. I get it. Now in May, 1929, they take the advice, they move out. So they were only there for like less than a year. They moved in August, 1928, moved out May, 1929. And he listed the home with 15 different real estate firms. Not one person was interested. No one wanted the house. Now, was it because the house made people sick? 
there were actually 51 stairs that took you up the hill to the entrance and you had to park the car on the first floor on the garage. A lot of people, I guess, thought that was an inconvenience and didn't like it. Or was it just such a big space that it was too much work to keep it up? And was it in so much disrepair that, like, it had a lot of work that needed to be done and no one wanted to do it? Like, I, I don't know. We could... Well, and so you're saying that, that there is 51 steps to get to the house? Correct. So, like, okay, if I'm, if I'm a workman and I need to bring up lumber and tools and cement or, I mean, like... I can understand why that would be something that wouldn't appeal to a lot of people. You have a place that requires a lot of repair, uh, possible toxic mold, who knows. Uh, and, like, I don't know, going up a, a bit of a hill to bring everything, that would suck. And not an easy way to probably bring a cart up. No. All of the above are accurate. All things to consider, for sure. I'm not going to even say it then. <laughs> So the house uh, was listed in 1928 three different times, which is interesting because mm -hmm. that was before it was put up for sale. So after moving out in 1929, Orlando got a handful of renters to take over the house. Can you imagine how much he charged them per month? How much? $250 per month. Can you imagine? It feels steep for the time, though. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I'd it was a huge mansion. <laughs> so. Now I'm curious. Okay, what was the exact year again? 1929. 1929. 200 and what? $50. $250. Okay. $4,460 by today's standards. Honestly, for like a four bed, I think it was three bath with like a ballroom and a, a maid's quarters. And that seems... Not that bad. I guess that's still a lot of money, but it's a huge, huge, huge space. And it's like, sure, a mansion. So it's not just like a regular old, like, I don't know, two-bedroom apartment. Like, this is like a huge, massive space. Sure. So let's talk about some of the people who lived there. Frederick Zelnick was an influential producer-director from German silent uh, cinema. So he's a German dude. He mm -hmm. moved in. Some resources will say that he purchased the home. He actually just rented it for one year from 1929 to 1930. And fun fact, he was actually the first to dub sound on top of silent films. Nice. So obviously this is Los Angeles. This is in the, the time of Hollywood starting to become a big thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people that were renting from Orlando were Hollywood people. Sure. And yeah. um, after... Zelnick moved out, there was a new rental agreement that was drafted specifically for a film critic in 1930. Mm. And this film critic was named Walford Beaton. Great name. Yep. And his wife, Sarah Louise. Mm. They had a 20-year-old son named Donald mm -hmm. who would unfortunately go on to die in this house. Mm. His death certificate cited sporotrichosis as the cause of death. Okay. Have you heard of that before? Does uh, it have another name that's less uh, Latin? <laughs> Rose Gardner's disease? No. So it's also known as Ro Rose Gardner's disease. It's a really wild thing. Basically, it's an infection that's caused by a fungus called sporothrix. Um, that and could have been gotten in a house that might may or may not be hazardous. So uh, allegedly. <laughs> sure. Um, 
he actually suffered f- from this for three years. So it wasn't okay. something that he just got when they moved in in 1930. Okay. Sure. Okay. But it got a lot worse when he was there. And sure. apparently it was caused by him getting a blister while playing tennis. And then some <laughs> sort of fungus got into the open wound and caused this horrible disease. That's terrifying. <laughs> Which just is like the wildest thought like did he just was he just like playing tennis and then just like playing in bushes and had to get like fungus in his wound like i don't i don't understand how this happens it's terrifying though it's terrifying i would say curse or no curse but i know what you're gonna say so i mean it's a medical he came in with a medical condition that's a good point this kind of brings me back to like cursed movies like how did these things start was did they start in the location or were they just elevated like there when when you know this but this actor died of cancer right but he came into filming already having had cancer or he died or 30 years later he died 30 years later. later and you're like you know we all gotta go sometime i'm sorry to say it <laughs> that's true like there's some stuff where i'm like it's i again when you stack everything up against each other sure you could say it's a pattern but if you know, if we were to do that with life, like you take almost any property and start looking an old property and start looking at how many owners there's been and how many people have died in the house. Yeah, probably some because it's a hundred year old house. Such a great point, Kim. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that in a bit. Okay. Um, so after this film critic and his family lived in the house in 1930, then um, British actor and Academy Award winner George Arliss. Are you familiar with George Arliss? George Arliss. I know the name, and I'm trying to figure out why I know the name. Because he won an Academy Award and was well, a really sure. famous British actor in the 1920s and 30s. Um, he did... Uh, um, oh, um... Man of Affairs, that was one of his, yes. wasn't it? Yes, yes, I yep. So. yep, yep, yep. I just didn't include details because I was like, meh, I'm not going to talk about that Because most people probably don't care, but Kim likes weird old movie shit. I love that you love it. You knew who he was. Um, so George Arliss and his wife Florence rented the house from 1931 to 1932. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was still acting. He was 63 years old. And what's really funny to me is that like after he lived there... That's when Orlando was like, ooh, I'm going to capitalize on the fact that a famous person who won an Academy Award has mm. lived at this house, and I'm going to use I mean, that to sell it. That's smart, though. True. People buy th- it's the same way people buy murder houses. They want to buy a place somebody famous may have lived. You know, speaking of murder houses. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Um, so using the name of George Arliss on a final real estate listing for the Schumacher estate, the house was finally sold on December 6, 1932. So it actually helped get it sold. Nice. So the people who purchased the house were John Stauffer Jr., mm-hmm. his wife Beverly, mm-hmm. and six-year-old son Jack, all moved in in 1932. And they actually did quite a bit of stuff to help the house out and fix some stuff up. In 1941, they fixed the garage and actually put it on the top of the hill mm-hmm. so they didn't have to drive and then walk up all the stairs anymore. They actually had a driveway that went up to the top of the hill. You could park your car and walk to the front of the house. Look at that. Nice. They were not the norm of who had lived in that house up until that point. They were not like a Hollywood family. These were some pretty normal people. They liked to throw lots of parties. They were actually huge philanthropists Mm -hmm. and did a lot of um, donations to different schools, colleges, things of that nature. 
And Jack would actually be the only kid that would grow up in this house, living there from age 6 to age 18. So in 1954, the home was given to Whittier College, which was a place that, you know, the Stafford had, like, donated to in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, John and Beverly moved into a different home, but wanted to donate the house. They donated the house to Whittier College. Um, And for two years, from 1954 to 1956, the college owned the home. And guess what? What? It sat vacant. (laughs) During those years, nothing happened to it. So that happened again. Um, But apparently Whittier College was having some financial issues during this time. So they were forced to sell it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually sold it to the Perelsons for only $30,000. Oh, geez. Which is like, if I I can give you math now, you don't have to look it up. Uh, $30,000 back then in 1956 Mm -hmm. is about $285,000 now. Jeez. So even then, that's low. Like, that's that is low. not a lot of mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. in today's money. So the, the it's just a little weird, you know? Like, why was it always vacant? Where are all these deaths coming from? Curse or no mm-hmm. curse? We got to know. So, of course, we know what happened with the Perelson incident. So then that happens. But then a year later, in 1960, the mansion was sold in a probate auction to a Lincoln Heights couple. Amelia and Julian Enriquez. Mm. But they didn't move in. Nobody huh. moved in. And they left everything as they found it. Huh. Or so they say. Now, something to note here. And I think this is really valuable information that nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. L.A. has a dark history of racism. <gasps> I know. <laughs> they had this thing called redlining. Are you familiar with that? Do you know what that is? Uh, I feel like it's probably going to be similar to some things they did in Seattle, just under a different name. So basically what it is, it was a redlining real estate system based mm-hmm. on what was good or ideal versus yeah. what wasn't. And yeah. what dictated that was race. Um, yeah. Red meant not ideal. And the demographic mm-hmm. were people of color. Green yeah. meant white. Systemic racism was and truly still is alive and well. Yeah. Sidebar to the sidebar. I learned so much about this from growing up and living in the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. Um, it blew my mind as an adult of like understanding neighborhoods and seeing why things were the way they were mm-hmm. and dealing with uh, low income housing and why things are so expensive in certain areas. This mm-hmm. is why. This is literally why. So that makes you think. Julian and Amelia were Latino. Mm. They were originally from the Lincoln Heights neighborhood, as I mentioned before. That mm-hmm. community is it's still a community today. It's actually like 150 years old. It's one of the oldest neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles. Has some really cute Victorian homes, but it's pretty run down. It's mm-hmm. low income. About 80% of that area is a Latino community. Um, and back then, that was considered a red community, too. It might yeah. still be now. Um there's some gentrification happening now, as there always is in those types of areas. But sure. that's where this family was from. And they would only ever be able to purchase a home in another red community because the green ones wouldn't show homes to people of color. Yeah, They wouldn't even allow anyone to look at them, let alone buy them. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're hearing that right. They wouldn't even let people see them, you know, yeah. which is just 
messed up on so many levels. So the fact that a Mexican-American family were able to even be considered to purchase the home in a green, wealthy, white neighborhood mm-hmm. was only because of how hard the house was to sell a year and a half after this murder-suicide happened. Right. So what's fun fact, I love a bargain. Amelia took the bargain that they were giving her and bargained an even lower price. <laughs> and they got it. Nice. So... Legend and lore ahead. Allegedly, there is a rumor that another family briefly rented the house after the Perelsons, and that it's their Christmas tree that's in the living room because mm. the Perelsons were Jewish, so they wouldn't have a Christmas tree. Sure. To be completely honest with you, did I find anything with validation supporting this anywhere? <clears throat> No, I did not. Well, and, um, and I will also say, like, I, I've had plenty of Jewish friends who also had Christmas trees. So, hi, not that, hello. I mean, nice yeah, to meet like, you. It, it's the one, one of one thing doesn't necessarily mean the other. I mean, it absolutely could, but also. it was also a different time, and maybe back then they didn't. We don't know. We don't know, but it's know. less likely. So the rumor actually goes on that whatever family was living there fled the house on the anniversary of the attack, because that's a really good story, um, leaving their wrapped presents under the Christmas tree. Most of the other junk in the house dates to some time after the murders, too, which we'll get to in a sec. Which leads me to wonder, if this story is true, why did they flee on the anniversary? Did something happen? Is there any documentation of this? Do we have the names of these people? Like, come on, let's be better. Uh, You already know how I feel about this. I just had to mention it because it's been mentioned. So there you have it. Did something spooky happen? Shrug. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So now the legend goes that even though the Enriquez purchased the home, no one moved in and the house was left vacant for many years, falling into disrepair. And it was vandalized. There used to be 1920s really beautiful light fixtures on the exterior. Those were stolen. But the creators of the Los Feliz Murder Mansion podcast actually interviewed Julian and Amelia's son, Rudy, who inherited the home a few years before his death. Sorry, I'm going to re-say that. So they interviewed him a few years before his death, but he inherited the home many years before his death. So basically... He told the podcast people that his parents actually lived in the house for 30 years. Wait, what? (laughs) How did someone live in the house for 30 years when there's all this legend and lore about no one living there and people going into that or going to the yard and looking inside and having all these like things left as they were? It didn't look like anyone was living there because nothing had been touched. So where did the rumor come from that it was abandoned? And how were people seeing the house like this? So the Los Feliz Murder Mansion podcast people thought that maybe he said it to prevent their team from asking any more questions. So just stop them in their tracks. Maybe confuse them. Maybe throw a wrench in the story for funsies. Or maybe the family actually lived there amongst all this old stuff that didn't belong to them. We don't know. Or maybe, maybe... They didn't want to live there because maybe as a family of color, Mm. they felt unwanted in a white affluent neighborhood. 
And maybe they didn't want to talk about it. So it just didn't stay there. They just used it as a storage unit. We don't know. So when asked if he ever experienced any paranormal activity, Rudy said that he had never had any experiences and that he actually lived there with his parents, which is different than any other information you'll find. Mm. So his dad passes away in 1973. His mm-hmm. mom passes away in 1994. Upon her death, Rudy, who at the time was a music store manager, um, inherited the house. But he also chose to not live there. Mm. I wonder why. Rudy said that he used the house as a storage unit for belongings left uh, to him by friends who had either passed away, moved away, what have you. And according to people that actually visited the place while he was living there, it was a bit of a hoarding situation. Like you couldn't Mm. even see some of the original paintings on the walls because there were so many boxes of stuff. Um, So this guy liked to hold on to things. Uh So does that explain why there was a Christmas tree and why things were left there, though someone just, you know, up and vanished? Maybe. So they were curious. They asked him, what about the Christmas tree and all this Uh legend and lore that people hear about? And apparently there was, like, leftover wrapping paper that people saw on the floor, too. So Rudy said that he had stored a Christmas tree there, a plastic one, and that he had actually wrapped Christmas presents at the house before, hence wrapping paper. So I guess that explains that, and the tree did not belong to the Perelsons. He also said that stuff in the house was his parents' stuff, not the Perelsons'. But court documents actually say that the Perelson's things were still in the house after it was sold. Hmm. So there's some disconnect. There's misinformation. We're not really sure what's accurate and what isn't. But it's weird. It's super weird. And, like, it sounds like Rudy was a pretty reliable source. He was a Mm -hmm. nice dude. He would sit and talk with people who wanted to talk to him. He wasn't rude. He even, like, gave one of the... um, one of the creators of the podcast, his phone number, like Mm. he was really sweet, like a genuinely really kind, sweet dude, but he was Mm -hmm. also a simple guy. And that could be one of the reasons why he didn't want to live in the house. It was a mansion. Mm -hmm. It might've been too big for him or too ostentatious, you know, which that could be one of the reasons why he never lived there. Yeah. And he couldn't sell it, not because no one wanted it, But because it was what his parents left him and he felt Mm -hmm. like if he were to sell it, selling it would be like selling his parents' coffins with their bodies in it. Like he didn't want to let go of it, which if you have a hoarding problem, a house is a whole Mm. other thing. That's true. You know, so like I can kind of understand like hearing his perspective on it. Mm -hmm. It sounds more normal and less like freaky and scary. Yeah. (laughs) So here's your debunking. It's happening, guys. I don't know if you're ready for it. Um. Now, fun fact, while he owned the building, the house, the city Mm -hmm. actually forced him to make repairs, um, and neighbors even tried to help spruce up the place. They painted the garage exterior, put Mm -hmm. a lock and chain on the driveway to attempt to prevent trespassers. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't stop people. Apparently, they even had sex workers that were brought to the property while he wasn't Mm. there, and people even had, like, just casual picnics on the lawn. No big deal. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't know. This is wild. But there's some really interesting information about when this legend really started to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. if all of this stuff was going on for all these years, when did it get traction? When did people start, like, really going there as, like, a dark tourist Mm -hmm. spot, right? So 
In the year 2000, a house painter named Steve Kolepsky, what a name, um, he was hired to paint the house next door to the murder house. Mm-hmm. He saw a Christmas tree in the window. So he decides, I'm going to tell my friends about this house and tell them how spooky it is for fun. So he starts to make a hubbub to his friends. Mm-hmm. For the sake of his own personal entertainment, truly. Um, He started to actually, he went further, but besides just like telling them about it, he's like, hey guys, you got to come see it. So he starts bringing his friends to this house to freak them out, just solely to freak them out. Mm -hmm. Tells them that the murder happened on Christmas Eve. Fun fact, it surely did not. Um, And the people that he brought there were the ones to say that they saw presents under the tree. Did he say that there were presents under the tree? Did he see that there were presents under the tree? No, Hmm. but he thought it was a great story, so he ran with it. Sure. He proceeds to take people up there for nine years. Oh, jeez. Nine years. So, of course, after taking people up there for such a long time, the game of telephone is real. Mm -hmm. And the story starts to escalate. Gets more entertaining each time. People like to throw in details, right? And so someone that he knows is friends with a reporter from the L.A. Times. So he ends up getting interviewed by the L.A. Times. Mm -hmm. Mind you, a very reputable source, Mm -hmm. a very reputable newspaper, specifically by Bob Poole. Mm -hmm. And he publishes an article in the L.A. Times in 2009. This fully opened up the story to the masses and expanded the realm of urban legend and dark tourism even beyond what it was previously. So allegedly, Mm -hmm. Steve Kolepsky was the person who started the whole drama that escalated what we now know. Mm -hmm. And we have Bob Poole to thank for publishing it in the LA Times. Mm -hmm. It actually landed on the front page of the LA Times on February 6, 2009. Oh, funny. Which is like pretty wild that it was a front page story. And Poole reported on the legend as though, or as it was told to him, mm-hmm. quote, through grimy cracked windows, one can see dust covered furniture, including a 1950s style television set seemingly frozen in time. What appear to be gaily wrapped Christmas gifts sit on a table and in the hills near the Greek theater, the questions linger. Why has the current owner kept the home as it was on December 6, 1959? Will another family ever again bring life to the estate once described in a sales ad as beautiful and delightful? End quote. He also mentioned that Harold Perelson killed himself by drinking acid, which he did not do. Mm-hmm. It's not recall. a great way to go. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. But he actually, that's not how he did it. Do you remember how he killed himself based sure, on yeah. the part one? It was pills. Oh, that's um, right. It wasn't acid at all. It was definitely like pills. But uh, unfortunately. Um, stomach acid, maybe. Hey. Stomach acid after the pills, yes. Um, what I find is kind of interesting, though, is that this was published with the wrong information in the LA Times. Mm. You know, like that seems kind of strange to me. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at this, is that like this is accessible information. You could research it accurately very easily. And. That wasn't done, Uh, which leads me to question the authenticity of the information provided in this hugely impactful article from a very reputable source like the L.A. Times. Mm -hmm. Like, 
The presence on this table that no one actually saw? Fun fact, some of the items that were visible through the windows could absolutely not have belonged to the Perelsons. Mm -hmm. Things like SpaghettiOs were not even marketed until 1965. Sure. The copy of Life magazine that was photographed by Jennifer Clay Mm -hmm. features the actress Yvette Nimue and is dated May 9th, 1960. Ah. That's five months after the murder. So that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about my friend Matt Bruce the last episode mm-hmm. a little bit. We talked about mm-hmm. him. He was in um, our Cecil Hotel episode. Sure. Uh, and he's been there a variety of times. And he actually even said that he never saw a Christmas tree there. Hmm. But he did see small articles of clothes like bandanas or rags mm-hmm. that were hung up as though they were left to dry forever. So if there was a tree, why would they remove it and just keep the clothes? That seems Mm kind of weird, right? It all just seems kind of weird. But if we go back to, like, what Rudy was saying, if he was just storing a Christmas tree there for, like, X amount of time, not as weird. Sure. Now, Matt also mentioned there being some sort of energy at the location, but also mentioned that the more he frequented it, the less he felt said energy. Mm-hmm. Hold on to that thought. Okay. We'll come back to it. There's also not one photo of that Christmas tree, by the way, that people keep talking about. You would think mm. during this time of phones that somebody would have taken a picture of this tree. Mm-hmm. Not a one. So during the time of the publication of that LA Times article, Rudy Enriquez had been approached many times by potential buyers mm-hmm. And became the focus of attention for, you know, fun people like internet death hags. Mm -hmm. Um, But as mentioned before, Rudy never wanted to sell the house. He said, I don't know that I want to live there or even stay here. Enriquez told the LA Times in 2009, when asked by Bob Poole if he knew about the rumor of ghosts in his property, Rudy said, quote, I love this quote, I've never looked at it as being haunted. The only spooky thing there is me. <laughs> Tell people to say their prayers every morning and evening and they'll be okay. End quote. <laughs> I just enjoy his humor. No, I like it. Very relatable. Only spooky thing here is me. <laughs> Love. Now, unfortunately, sad story. Rudy passed away in 2015 at age 83 of a heart attack. He had no children to continue the search for answers. And he was remembered as one of the kindest people that anyone had encountered. There was a lot more that the podcast went into about the Enriquez family. They actually have an episode called the Enriquez Mystery episode. If you want to get more into this and understand a little bit more about the family, feel free to listen to that. Um, And after his death, the estate was worth several million dollars. And it was on probate Mm. for four years. It then sold at auction, which... Hold on to that for a second. We'll get into that in a bit. But I want to kind of look back at the house's history after we just talked about all the things that have happened up until this point. And obviously there's going to be whispers or loud internet monologues about paranormal happenings with such a weird history, right? Sure. Yeah. I feel like it's just ripe for creativity and storytelling. 
Mm-hmm. So people had to see it for themselves after hearing about the media coverage and word spread like wildfire. Thus begins the trespassing. Uh, hype. Mm. People would trespass, hype each other up, tell stories that continue to perpetuate the urban legends. And people all talked about some kind of weird energy there. Sure. Matt talked about it, too. Mm-hmm. There's actually a tour Mm-hmm. It's like a dark history tour nice. called the Dearly Departed Tour. I think I've heard it's of that. Like a, yeah, it's like, yeah. A mini, like a murder tour. Yeah. Because there's a lot of murder houses in L.A., fun fact. Sure. Uh, you got the mansion, mansion, Manson murders. Mm-hmm. You got, there's lots. Oh, Dahlia. Uh, you go nuts yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so many good ones. Then um, this one's one of them. Mm-hmm. And so the Dearly Departed Tour Guide, Scott Michaels said, quote, everyone loves a haunted house mystery. The irony of a happy thing like Christmas turning tragic is appealing. That's why people like roller coaster accidents. It ticks all those boxes. It's a house on a hill and it's spooky to look up at from down the road. Yeah. End quote. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes for a great story. Totally feeds the imagination, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. There was this neighbor. Her name was Sherry Watterson. Mm -hmm. She told the Times that a friend of hers tried one night to explore the mansion in what she described as a, quote, Nancy Drew moment, end quote. (laughs) Love it. This lady sneaks through a back door, but doesn't get super far before setting off a burglar alarm. And all of a sudden, her hand starts throbbing really painfully. And she's like, what? Why is my hand hurting? Right. Apparently, she'd been bitten by a black widow, and oh, there was a red streak going up her arm. She even had Oy. to go to the doctor. It was really bad. Two nights later, then, the alarm kept going off at the neighbor's house at the back door, but nobody was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she said it was like the ghost was following us. Mm. Sure. Sure. Curse or no curse? Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, skeptical <laughs> face. How's that? I really love a skeptical face. Uh-huh. Uh, that should be our hashtag for this episode is skeptical hashtag face. Hashtag skeptical face. But it is kind of weird that her alarm kept going off. Like that's. Sure. But it could be caused by a variety of things. I mean, I was like, take your pick of the rational explanations on that one. Oh no, my alarm keeps going off. Maybe someone's actually trying to break into this nice house in Los Feliz, potentially. I mean, we're having that problem at the theater right now. The fire alarm keeps going off. Like, there's some kind of weird wiring thing happening. It's not a ghost. It's not a ghost. It's weird wiring. It's weird wiring. Fair. So, it wasn't just that that happened. There was more stuff that happened. There are a lot of, like, allegedly's reported, right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't have verification on, like, literally any of these things. So, this is just lore. Neighbors also reported that they felt like they were being followed when they were near the house, like they weren't alone. But it didn't always feel like that, just when they were around the vicinity of the house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of squatters would try to live there, um, but eventually would flee, citing uh, unsettling chills, mystery footsteps, and unholy noises at night. <laughs> I really wanted to make a bad joke about this, so I'm just going to do it and get it over with. Um, could it have been the dudes who hired the sex workers? Probably. I mean, that's where my mind went. Oh, I'm so glad we're on the same page. Now, of course, and I mentioned this before, Ghost Adventures. They did a Mm -hmm. two-parter on the Los Feliz Murder Mansion in 2022. Sure. So in the Ghost Adventures 
um, episodes, they suggest that Harold was possessed by a dark force that inhabited the home. They talked to uh, talked specifically about the you know the different rings of hell and all the stuff that he was reading about um, when he did kill himself. And I just think it's shitty. Honestly, this is a dude who had mental health issues, who had financial issues, whose wife was threatening to put him in a mental institution and to suggest that he was possessed by a dark force. I could go down a rabbit hole about how people use paranormal things to substitute mental health issues forever. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. I just think it's really shitty that the person that has the platform. Tempting though it may be. Truly. Um, but the person who has the platform to show a narrative is going to choose that route to speak to pissed me off. Yeah, absolutely. So already we're not starting on the right foot with Ghost Adventures, which as a surprise to no one. Um but anywho, what's even worse is um, they had apparently some longtime neighbors who did not use their last names uh, named Chris and Don mm. talked about some history of the house that's not actually history. That's just fucking neighbor gossip. So sorry, I'm so aggressively angry about this. Um, but they spoke to the fact that allegedly there was a cage covering the outside of Judy's window, the daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that she was abused and kept as a prisoner in the home. Okay. There is literally nothing anywhere that says anything about this. Mm-hmm. So to me, that is very bizarre. They claim that they know this from what was told to them by the former owner of the house below the murder house, who allegedly was Judy's best friend. This just sounds like a bunch of horseshit gossip within neighbors. Like, yeah. and the fact that it is being used as a reference is like really ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they also talk about how before the house was gutted, the house had a negative aura. Mm. They said that Rudy was a strange man. They literally called him a vampire character who only came over at night to feed his cat. And then when the cat died, he had the cat stuffed and placed in the upstairs window. Lord. What? (laughs) Like just the narrative that's chosen to be told here is so frustrating after hearing how lovely of a man Rudy was. And this is how they want to depict him on ghost adventures. Lord. Apparently they said that he also would throw away old lady shoes in the middle of the night. Like, I mean, if he was a hoarder sure. and he had a bunch of people shit, it, it wouldn't surprise me that he would throw things away. Yeah, but that's just stupid. Like you're gonna—that's what you're gonna talk about. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this made me mad, as it should. Yeah. Um, now, as a nice breath of fresh air on this episode, they actually interviewed Stacy Astenius. I'm mispronouncing her last name. She was actually the host of the Los Feliz Murder Mansion podcast that I'm referencing so heavily in this episode. They actually had her on the show and asked her about some of the history, which is great because I trust her. She provided some really great information. Um, She spoke of the curse. Mm -hmm. She talked a little bit about the lovely synopsis of what you can find on her podcast, Mm -hmm. much of what we also talked about here. But... 
she also had a lovely relationship with Rudy. She actually interviewed and talked to Rudy multiple times to the point that she was even invited to his memorial mm. after he died. And so I can't even imagine how pissed Stacy was when she finally watched the Ghost Adventures episode and saw how mm-hmm. he was depicted. So uh, I'm just going to leave that there for you. Having said that, this pissed me off. I didn't want to put too much energy into Ghost Adventures after researching it. I feel like this is what always happens whenever there's a Ghost Adventures episode on a topic that we do. It just ends up yes. making us angry, a la yes. Lavinia Fisher. Um, and <laughs> this is where we land. Um, now, this was the most hokey two-part episode I've ever <laughs> seen of Ghost Adventures because they all just act like they're all possessed the whole time and it's the worst acting I've ever seen. If we talked evidence, evidence. There was a ghost chair, apparently, that seemingly appeared and then disappeared. <laughs> sure. Okay. They got a few EVPs that didn't really say a lot of good things and a lot of negative energy, allegedly. Honestly, I'm not going to get further into it than that. I don't want to spend a time, a ton of time discussing ghost adventures for the reasons I said before. If you want to watch the episodes, you do you. You have your own opinions. You know how I feel. If I'm this upset about it, I don't even want to know how upset Kim is. I try to avoid ghost adventures whenever possible. If you could only see the facial expression, then that, that is fair. That is fair. So, um, truly, I didn't find a lot of paranormal stuff on this place other than the energy that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to actual research and weird stories i think this is a really easy place to come up with a weird story for just because the history is so weird Mm -hmm. but what do you think kim do you feel like this is like a place that is potentially haunted or has Uh, a negative energy like what would what would your takeaway be from everything so far i mean (sighs) no uh (laughs) and here's why I mean, I'm not saying there people aren't feeling a negative energy. I'm sure people are. Um, there could be a negative energy permeating the place. I also feel like, again, we are very open to the power of suggestion. If we go into a place thinking uh, it has a negative aura, thinking there's something weird, we're going to feel it. Like, that's just truth. Um, so... I would be curious to see how people who had no preconceived notions of a house felt going into it. Do you know what I mean? hundred percent. Great question. And um, yeah, no, I, I agree full, fully. And I think, you know, my natural inclination was to also say, I don't think it's haunted. No, I don't think it's haunted either. Like it goes back to like what you were saying before that old homes have people mm-hmm. die in them. Like, People used to die in their homes back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how people died. And, like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's haunted. It could be. It could also sure. be residual. You don't know. Um, sure. But I think you, you, it's exactly what you said. Like, you want to believe what you want to believe. After five mm-hmm. deaths in a place with a potentially, like, cursed history, it's just asking mm-hmm. for you to project your own ideas of negative energy and hauntings into the location. And whether it actually is or isn't, the story itself is just weird. Yeah, sure. But I'm not going to lie. If I was given the option to, like, go there and investigate, I would not say no. Oh, totally. I would still do it for funsies. Absolutely. But that's just me. (laughs) But wait, 
There's more. So let's go back to right after Rudy died. Okay. Quote, you can't have a house sit empty for 50 years and not expect it to fall apart. It's a teardown now. End quote. A former neighbor, Jude Margolis, told the LA Times in 2009. It's a shame. Now, apparently, when showing the house in 2015 for the first time since 1960, they had over 300 people showing interest in this house. Another fun fact. California's civil code has a three-year rule for murder houses, quote-unquote. This means that realtors are legally obliged to tell buyers of a material defect like a violent death, but only if the death occurred within three years of the date an offer is made to purchase the home. That's pretty common. That is, it is pretty common. I've heard about that too. But I mean, with the murder house, you definitely know what happened there many years later with all this legend and lore. So Lisa Bloom and Braden Pollock were the lucky high, highest bidders in court in 2015. And they purchased 2475 Glendower Place for $2.29 million. Mm. Does that name Lisa Bloom ring a bell to you by chance? Like the attorney? Yes. Yes, the attorney. She is a controversial attorney. Uh, yeah, because she keeps re- representing. She represented Kathy Griffin with the bloody Trump head situation. Sure. She also, uh, like, advised Weinstein among a few other, like, dickbags. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I only knew about that one. I didn't even know that she represented Kathy Griffin. Um, and what's even, like weirder Mm -hmm. slash um misha barton too i think yeah she did good call wow look at you kim um her mom actually was one of the um attorneys who supported roe versus wade when it first was a thing in the 70s so like she used to always want to like defend and represent abused women in cases against abusers and so it is kind of like messed up that she is the most well known for being on a team that represented Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein. Um, but anywho, so her, Lisa Bloom, yeah. she and her husband, partner person, were interviewed and asked if they had any negative vibes from their home. You can hear the full interview, or at least majority of it, on that podcast I mentioned. And they were asked also if the knowledge of the tragedy had impacted their purchase. Short answer, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, Lisa Bloom actually compared it to old houses and hospitals, kind of like what we were talking about, how people just die in places. Nobody thinks of hospitals as like the most haunted places ever, yet they have so many deaths in hospitals and a morgue at the bottom of them. But no one thinks of that as a place that's super haunted all the time. And no one's freaked out going, Mm. I mean, maybe some people are freaked out going into hospitals, but most people wouldn't like have the attention to a hospital that they would give a murder house, right? Um, Sure. So she says she doesn't subscribe to the superstition. And she says that she makes a living based as uh, a trial attorney on evidence and facts. (laughs) Lol. (laughs) All right. There you have it. So, um... I I love that. I I just had to share that with you because I knew you would crack up from that. Um, But they genuinely actually intended to move in and live in this house and had a ton of people reach out to them to be like, hey, are you going to cleanse that place? Or like, do you know that it's probably haunted? Like, what are you guys going to do? 
And apparently Lisa was like, this is dumb. Like, no, we're not going to do that. But then they realized that they might have some friends that would want to come over and might be freaked out by it. So for the sake of like, I don't know, having parties and guests want to come over, let's maybe do a cleansing. But I don't think she did a lot of research in who she found to do the cleansing because she just found some dude who called himself an empath came to her house, pulled out his iPhone, opened an app that was probably like a ghost box type app and she straight up called bullshit on it and made this dude cry. Nice. (laughs) Which to me is like a very funny story. I support making uh, people cry. (laughs) Loving when uh, Kim supports making people cry. Um, now, the home really uh, needed some extensive work, to say the least, yet Bloom was still determined to remodel um, the, the house and move in. And, you know, she was obviously undeterred by the old murders, ghost stories, what have you. But there was something that was a lot scarier than those things. Um, these minimal renovations that they were planning on doing actually brought the home's cost up 50% and would bring the entire property up past code. And didn't realize until three years into remodeling that they found out the entire property in order to be up to code would have to be demolished and the hill would need to be flattened more properly to meet property code expectations. So (laughs) that seems like just like one problem after the other, which curse or no curse, that seems pretty weird that all these things keep popping up. So at this point, she had already stripped the home down to its studs and really didn't want to invest more time into it. Allegedly, it was going to take three more years to do any type of um, work on the house after three years of already waiting on it. So a total of six years. And they didn't think it was worth it, even though they were like, dang, we got this house for a deal. I know it was $2.29 million that they purchased it for, which sounds like a lot to people who don't know L.A. Homes in Los Feliz these days cost at least like three, four, five million for something of that uh, degree, even, you know, with it being just not in the greatest of shape. Um, So she ends up putting it on the market in 2019. So here it is back on the market again. People don't want to live there or people want to live there and they can't or they get sick and they die. Um, Curse or no curse. Uh, fun fact, during this time that Bloom owned the house, she and her husband allowed a film crew to come into the house from the podcast that I mentioned um, to film. And mm-hmm. But it was under the premise that another s- film crew would be coming in who brought ghost hunters. And I'm so curious if it was ghost mm. adventures that actually came in to do that based on the timeline of the release. Um, it's possible it was another film team. We don't know. But I think it it's kind of funny that she was in Ghost Adventures and there was a ghost team also filming there. Like, you would think that these two things might somehow be connected. Um, couldn't find anything about that. That's just me speculating. But sure. less than a year later, an LLC represented by Effie Zlatinsky, CEO of Lux Manor Home Builders, Custom Home Builders, purchased the husk of the murder house for $2.35 million. We're not quite sure what happened between 2019 and 2022, although that podcast I mentioned came out in 2021. They actually did about seven years of research, which is super impressive, and I want to give them all the credit that they deserve. Um, So that came out in 2021, and then it was actually featured on Ghost Adventures in October 2022, and it was then featured 
in episode six of Buying Beverly Hills, which released in 2022. Uh, I do not know what that is. Oh, well, if you recall, at the end of the last episode, I talked about how stoked I was that I had to watch a reality show uh, for research. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is this one? This is the reality show. This is one I was talking about. It's so bad. It's don't don't watch this show, please. This is not the reality TV I want you to Done. watch. Don't watch this one. But I watched uh, it. It was I'm, ridiculous. I'm good. It's, I I in general try not to watch reality TV unless I absolutely have to. And I know why now. <laughs> we won't get into that on this episode. But having said that, uh, this featured the house amongst other houses that were being sold. And this house at this point in time in 2022 was listed for $5.5 million. So it's gone up significantly, but the interior is still fully gutted. Um, Apparently it's basically planned to be remodeled. Uh And there's a designer named Richard Landry who apparently also worked on the Sharon Tate murder house, the Mm. other Manson Uh murder house uh in LA. So he must be like the murder house remodeler dude it's his jam i guess i don't blame him um and one of the realtors said this house has quite an infamous past it's going to take a lot of work to scrub that stain off it and transform it into something new he even went so far as to say that once finished the home is quote without a doubt going to be one of the most spectacular homes not just in los Feliz, but on the east side of los angeles end quote sure what a freaking realtor commentary like, that's the most realtor shit I've ever heard. Now, it's technically off the market now, but I have no idea who purchased it, and I couldn't find any information on that in my research. If anyone wants to find that for me, let me know. We Feel free. Um, but it's pretty hush-hush on the internet, which seems weird because this is not a very hush-hush house. Sure. And that's basically it. Like, it's just so much weird stuff with this house. So you could honestly... This is the story of what Vice calls the, quote, crown jewel of Southern California murder lore, which you can see why. But, you know, fact-checking an urban legend does often lead to, as we know from personal experience, disappointment and debunking. (laughs) And, you know, the fun stories that come along with it aren't so fun when you realize they're not accurate. Absolutely. What makes this story so intriguing and weird, to be honest, Mm -hmm. are some of the details that have been debunked and whether or not you believe in curses. So take it for what it is. A lot of conflicting information, a sad story that lived on through an infusion of legend and lore and the creativity of its storytellers of influence. And that's the Los Feliz Murder House. That is uh, that is quite the history. We do a deep dive, I do a deep dive. <laughs> but truly, I was so excited to listen to that Los Feliz podcast. That, that podcast was so good. So um, I was going to use that as my creepy critics corner, but we'll talk about that in a bit. All right. Um, but having said that, this brings us to... What you watching? Uh, a lot still because of Hundred Days of Horror. Although it is funny, uh, I say you know I don't really watch reality shows. Um, I have been watching. I didn't even know the show was still on. 
but I have actually been watching Big Brother, and here's why. Not just because I want to. I don't, actually. But I know somebody on it. And I have to say, it would not be my thing at all, but watching it knowing somebody on the show is a trip. I can only imagine. Uh, it's just it's just really, really weird. It's really weird, especially a show that's kind of about, I'm getting the impression, like, deceiving people and making alliances and stuff. It's just kind of trippy to, yeah, that, the whole experience has been kind of weird. But I, I will say it has me watching the show, at least for as long as he is on it. So we shall see. Uh, I'm so but, proud of you, Cam. Uh, don't be. Uh, <laughs> but in, in more interesting uh, tellings, I went and saw Talk to Me. Ooh, I heard that was good. It is good. It's it's really interesting because uh, it kind of feels like, and I think I said this in my comments when I posted about it for 100 Days of Horror, it feels like a script that normally would be made by um, Blumhouse. Hmm. And instead it was made by A24. <laughs> interesting. So... It's just a very different approach to what very easily could have been a kind of run-of-the-mill, like, PG-13 horror, right? But it's, yeah. it's, it's well done. The acting's fantastic. Um, the cinematography's great. Uh, they're already talking about making a sequel because it's been nice. doing very well in the box office. But it's, it's just, you know, it's a really solid, well-done film. Um, nice. Was it you know, as game changing as some of the other films I think they've made before. It didn't hit me the same way. I, I, some of the people saying it's the scariest thing they've seen in years. I'm like, I have questions about your watching if this is the scariest thing you've seen in years, but okay. Uh, but again, really good time. Well done film. Very much enjoyed it. Uh, I watched nice. another film called Unwelcome, oh. which is streaming on Shudder, and it is about this couple who move to the countryside, they inherit like a great aunt's cottage or something, and they want to get out of the city. The woman's pregnant, and they had some bad things happen in the city. Um, but the the village they move to, there's like some people in there who are a little bit, you know, eccentric, and there's uh, a lot of talk of... Um, well, one of the one of the women tells them that each night, you know, they have to leave out it's like liver or something in the back garden. Uh, are you familiar with red caps? No. Red caps are basically evil little goblin fairies that uh, come up in a lot of of like Scottish and English folklore, and. Um, it's the movie was made by the same dude that did uh, Teeth, which I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it was really fun. It was kind of a dark fairy tale. I thought the acting across the board was really good. It had a number of faces. You'll watch it and be like, oh, I know that person. It's got a lot of those kind of British actors in it and Irish actors. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's streaming on Shudder. I recommend it. It's it's fun. If, if that's kind of your thing it very much is my thing i love a good dark fairy tale so yeah so that uh, sounds good that among a whole crap ton of other horror films but uh we'll be getting to those i'm sure as the weeks go on what you've been watching or listening nice. to sounds good uh i listened to a lot of the podcast I talked about this entire time on this episode um the los Feliz murder mansion um very well researched, very well done. Um, 
Really enjoyed it. It's bite-sized, seven episodes. Uh, highly recommend if you liked what we talked about on this episode and the last one. I also watched this a while back and fully forgot to talk about it, so I wanted to talk about it now. It's a show on Netflix called Survival of the Thickest with Michelle Buteau. Have you heard of this? So Michelle Buteau is a comedian. She does some great stand-up, but also she's just a funny human. She's so hilarious. And um, the premise of this is she is a size-inclusive black woman who lives in New York City, who's a stylist, who is pretty established but reliant on her partner for recognition and jobs, really, in the initial part of the, the show. And she this is not ruining anything this is all in the first episode um she finds him cheating on her breaks up with him and it's all about like a self-discovery being in your 40s as a single woman and creating a a legacy of your own that's what you want for yourself versus living for anyone else or needing a man to define you um or you know if like falling back into bad habits or doing things for what reason and and really having the support of her community and her friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially as a plus size person um, in a world where it's not really looked at as something that can be styled and actually Nicole Byer is in it too, which fun fact, they joke all the time because they're, they are friends in real life Mm -hmm. that people confuse them (laughs) and they don't even look remotely alike. Um, But uh, it's a really heartwarming show. It's very good. I watched the entire thing Mm. in like two days, Um, but I highly recommend it. It's definitely a feel good, funny show, really fun quips throughout it. Um, And there's a really funny funeral scene which is great. Uh, And I actually went to go see Barbie last weekend, Mm -hmm. which you already talked about, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to talk about it, but holy fever dream. Wow. Um, (laughs) I just uh, was cracking up the friend I went to see it with just kept looking at me going like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like (laughs) throughout half of the movie. And I just was giggling most of the time. Um, But it was so good. Mm -hmm. It was so good so good i'll just say i really liked it i don't need to tell anything about it because you already talked about it but i i really liked it um and yeah that's what i've been watching and having said that thank you for just listening in general and to our new listeners welcome again um if you like what we do head on over to uh patreon and get some extra content and if you'd like to financially contribute you have different options of how you can do so if you can't afford that totally understand go on over to apple podcasts or spotify to give us a rating and review love hearing from you guys um especially on our instagram for ghoulish tendencies as well um but thank you so much for listening and having said that 